Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We're going to uh, continue in our series uh, called Mysteries Explained, and um, it's a series within a series. So we're, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, which started back uh, last, uh, last fall, and we're into Matthew 13. We started Matthew 1, we're in Matthew 13, and one of the interesting things about Matthew is he has these five big major blocks of teaching. And we're hitting one of them in Matthew 13. It's called the parabolic discourse. It's where he, he tells these parables of the kingdom, these earthly analogies that, that, that speak of a, uh, of a heavenly reality. And there's nothing that needs to be explained more than I think than the word kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. I mean, if there's something more vague in all of Christian vernacular, it, it is the kingdom. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? The kingdom. The kingdom, simply put, it's God's domain, God's rulership. And, and so we want to talk about it. So this is a parable about that. I am in Matthew 13, verse 24. If you have your Bible, or you can look at the Sky Bible, and we'll do it together. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then do we have weeds? God, if you're so good, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Well, you said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then what do you want us to do? Go get rid of the evil? Should we do that? No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, when's that? Who knows? Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So he tells this to a crowd. And then he goes and tells another parable which uh, David will talk about that next week. And then the disciples, the crowds leave. Jesus goes into a house. The disciples, hey, you've got to explain the parable of the weeds of the field. We didn't get that. We explained it to us. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Son of man is a title for Jesus, so that's Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, that is Christians. The weeds are the sons of the evil ones, that is non-Christians. And the enemy sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom, gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. Not just the effect of sin, but the cause of it. And throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, Here's a phrase that comes up in this chapter a few times. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, on the basis of that last phrase, I just love to pray for us. Jesus, we would love, we need ears to hear. We look at this, and man, it's just like, what are you, what's going on here? What are we talking about? Um, what are you doing? It sounds uninviting. Um, what are we supposed to do? God, we need ears to hear what you're saying to us. 
Amen. When our kids were little, two, three, four, five, six years old, um, they would regularly uh, get splinters in their hand, and they got splinters in their hand because they played with sticks out in the yard. You know, we hard-earned money. We got them amazing toys, but they liked to play with sticks. And so when you play with sticks, you get thorns um, in your hand. Now, taking out a, th- a thorn, a splinter, sorry, not a thorn, splinter, uh, to get a, to, taking a splinter out of it as an adult is an unpleasant experience. But when you're a kid, it's absolutely frightening. I mean, it's like, oh my, here come the tweezers. Like, you know, everyone run and hide. And uh, at the time we lived down in the city, we lived on, um, uh, down in the Southampton neighborhood. And, and, you know, it's a spring day, something like that. And there's people always walking by, people always walking by, people always walking by, windows are open. And I can just imagine being one of these people walking by our house and they hear, Dad, stop it, you're hurting me. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of things going on in that person's mind because they're, one, depending on their presupposition about dads, they may have some thoughts about what's going on in that house. Like, I don't, I don't like that house. I'm going to stay away from that guy. I'm going to stay away from that family. Or maybe, actually, I'll call the police and get them removed, it's something. Um, but they don't know the context. They don't know the whole story. They don't know that actually when I take this splinter out, how much relief is going to come and actually how much really they're going to be grateful about what I did. All they know is it's, it sounds painful and scary, and they totally heard that out of context. I, I just read to you a story out of context, out of the context of the big narrative of the Bible. I mean, there's words in there like fiery furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And depending on your presupposition about who God is and your narrative of Christianity, you might, that sounds harsh, maybe horrified. Many are horrified. But what if you were just like in, like if you were to come in at my house and see the whole scene and and see how we actually treat our kids and, and what our family is like and, and how much joy and, and relief came because I did what I did uh, and how much grace and mercy was involved, um, you, you would have a different story. And what, and what I want to do today and actually what I would invite you to do big picture is I, I want you to come in and like hear the context of what's happening here. Because while challenging, passages like this can be challenging they offer so much hope. In fact, they speak to what, what is going on in this parable. It speaks to the world that I know that everybody wants. I believe that the, the world that, that God wants to create, the, the world that God wants to give to every person is the world that we all want As challenging as it may be to hear, we all want that. You may not believe it's true, but I know that you want it to be true. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that um, because we all come in with a narrative. And most people outside the church for sure, but maybe even inside the church, we have this idea about the Christian narrative, which is, you know, you live a life. And if you live uh, above the line, that is, you have the correct thoughts about Jesus and you, you live a good life, you'll, at the end, you'll go up to the preferred option, which is heaven. You'll be some disembodied spirit hanging on a cloud, playing a harp, whatever, whatever 
comes to your mind. Or, but if you have the wrong thoughts about who God is, you're living your life, and that you, and you know, you know, you do bad things, or what maybe the Bible says is bad, you go to the the non-preferred option, which is somewhere under the earth. It's full of fire, and it's like a, a, a torture chamber of sorts, and God's off in the corner cackling at the smoke that's going up in the air over, and, th- and that's the view. And so you hear something like this, and you're like, thanks, but no thanks. But what was Jesus's actual, actual message? Well, going back all the way to Matthew 4, it says, when Jesus came on the scene in his ministry, it says, from that time, Jesus began to, this was his message, repent, that is change, go in a different direction, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that it's right in front of you, it's right now. And then in verse 23, he says, he went through Galilee, same kind of thing, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that word gospel just means good news, so proclaiming the good news of the kingdom in healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Why was this good news? Why was the message of the kingdom good news? Because the message of the kingdom is that it's here, that it it is arrived. And this is something that uh, the Jewish people would have been waiting for. They've been waiting for God to set up his kingdom here on earth so all their enemies would be scattered and they would live in this new Jerusalem of like perfect bliss. And so he's saying now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what you have to understand to understand why this was good news is as you go back into the beginning pages of the Bible in Genesis 1, the, the, the Bible starts with, and God created heaven and earth, which is important to understand that the counterpart to heaven is not hell. The counterpart to heaven is earth. No verse in the Bible talks about, says heaven and hell. It talks a lot about heaven and earth. And, and basically, uh, the kingdom of heaven is God's domain. God's domain. The kingdom of earth is human domain. And in the beginning, heaven and earth, that is God's domain and human domain, were one and the same, right? So everything was awesome. Everything was, you know, Nothing was fattening. It was 72 degrees. Everything was perfect. Everything was as it should be. Um, everything was great. Genesis 3 rolls around, and the, what we see is we see this, just like in the parable, the enemy comes in, sneaks into God's good wheat field, sows a seed of sin and rebellion, a lie that is God is not to be trusted. He's holding something behind his back that he doesn't want you to have. And what that is, is knowledge of good and evil. In other words, you can decide what is good and you can decide what is bad. And that will play out actually later on the parable. And this, in a sense, so you had this world that was once where you had heaven and earth, God's domain, human domain, one and the same, perfection, the world that we all want, In a sense, because God gives us free choice, we made the decision. Well, Adam and Eve made it, and they were our federal head. And when they voted, they voted for all of us. And they, um, in a sense, they pushed, they wanted to push away God's presence. We don't need God. We can be our own God. We don't need what God has. We can make this for ourselves. So we, we, we pushed God's presence away. And now there's this separation from heaven 
and earth that fractured our soul and it fractured humanity. That's why there's, uh, it's why people aren't nice. It's why politics are everywhere. It's why there's disease and death and tornadoes and all the things that we'd say is bad about the world is a result of that fracture. Now, the good news is, as according to, you can read this later, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, it, it's not that Jesus is just going to, we're just going to go up to heaven one day or go you know, down to hell one day. It's that what God is really wanting to do, he's wanting to unite heaven and earth. He's wanting to bring it back. He's wanting to bring the, the domain of God is going to be synonymous with the domain of, of humans. He's going to bring that back together. In fact, when you read the end of the book, you start to hear wedding bells. Revelation 21, he's reuniting. He's this, this, he's, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down this new city, Jerusalem. And it's, it's a place where he's going to wipe every tear. There's no death. There's no disease. And it's going to be, he's bringing things back together. He's uniting heaven. The, the heaven, the, the kingdom of heaven, the domain of God and the domain of humanity is going to be, be one and the same. And he's going to push back evil. He's going to push back the hell that we brought on earth, and he's going to put it somewhere else. We're going to get to that in the end. Don't get too excited. Um, so he's going to push all this stuff back. So, so God's not content with this separation. And so he explains to this, um, he explains, he's like, okay, the kingdom of heaven is now, right? So they get, so like, hey, this is a good, I've got good news. This thing that you've been waiting for, God's domain to come to earth. Yeah, we've been praying. You know, our Father who art in heaven, I'll be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. We've been praying for this. It's here. Why are all these weeds here? Why is there evil in the world? Well, the kingdom of God is here, but not fully. What the heck does that mean? Yesterday, um, we had a, a, a party for my daughter, Ella and a graduation party. And uh, it started at 2. And at 2.30, if you would have asked me, hey, have, have the guests arrived? I would have said yes, but not fully. A percentage of them had come, but it hadn't, the guests hadn't fully come. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the kingdom of God has come it's come to us, his, his kingdom, his reign. It hasn't, it hasn't taken over earth. We're, the earth is still under the, the sway of sin, but it's set, his kingdom sets up in our hearts. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not doing the right things or not doing the wrong things. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. This idea that God has set up his rulership in our life. He has fundamentally changed who we are. We were all weeds at one point, and God uproot. So the son of disobedience, we're all sons of disobedience. In fact, let me just go ahead and read Ephesians 2. As you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what that means is just like the devil came in and sowed um, a seed of, of a weed, we are the product of that seed. And so the enemy in the, gar in the Garden of Eden, among God's creation, he came in and that, that seed, that lie, landed on our heart and we received it. And because we received it, it bore fruit and we became a son of disobedience. We were all once weeds. 
But God, again, was not content with that. So he went, what, what it means to become a Christian, in a sense, using the, the same analogy, is we, we say, hey, I'm a weed. I'm a weed. And I, I want, God, I want you to uproot me. And actually, the, when we baptize someone, our old life is dead. Like, we, we died our old life. I want to uproot you because in order to get rid of, uh, to get rid of the sin, he's got to up, come up from the root. If you've ever pulled weeds before, um, and if you haven't, uh, 9408 Rose Bay, you're welcome anytime. And so we, um, if you don't pull up from the wheat, you don't get rid of it. You see, Jesus is way more serious about getting rid of evil in our world than we are. Way more serious. So like you and I, if we had a, if you went, in fact, if you went in your neighborhood and you were like, hey, um, should we get rid of racially motivated violence? I think that's pretty, you're going to, everybody, yeah, let's get rid of racially motivated violence. Uh, everyone can agree on that, but God wants to get rid of the contempt and the pride in your heart. Hey, let's get rid of, I mean, we, we, there's um, children being sold as sex slaves. I think we can all agree that yeah, we should get rid of that. What about, what about Lust. We're about where it all begins. And we all have something in our lives. We all, we're all the product of that. And what he wants to do, he's the only one who can do that. Because actually, when, when, they decide, when they realize that there is evil around, and just like us, we're like, there's evil around, the disciples are like, should we pull out the weeds? And he says, no. Shockingly, he says, no. Um, he says, don't do that, lest you pull up the wheat as well. And one of the things he's saying is that you and I are not very good at distinguishing between what is a wheat and what is a weed. Um, in fact, uh, I mean, there are, there are weeds among us. Do I know who they are? No, I don't even spook anyone. But like, they're, like I don't know. We don't, because you know why? They, let me show you, actually, this will help. Let me show you a picture. Is it, Jesus was talking about a very specific kind of weed. Um, in fact, you might, some of your translations say the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. That, that, is a, that is a wheat and that is a weed. What's the other picture? You have the other? So you can't really tell until it grows up and it produces fruit. Looks the same. Sitting, sitting in the same chair, singing the same songs, going through the same motion. Externally, it all looks the same. We don't know what's going on in the heart. I mean, you might, you might say, I don't really have that impulse to want to serve. I don't really have that impulse to want to give. I, I have this impulse. I'm dominated by this impulse to prefer myself over God and others. And he says, don't pull it out. Or you, you're just not good at discerning. And, and to be honest with you, like, so Jesus is actually getting to two ideas that he's warning us against. One is syncretism. One is sectarianism. Synchronism is just where we're just like the world. There's no difference between inside the church and outside the church. That we just, we just seem like the world. We just kind of go wherever culture goes. And, we, and there's, no, there's no difference. We're depending upon a different gospel. And a church can just be, be overtaken by weeds. Um, churches are led by weeds. Well, how do you know the difference? Sometimes it's really, really hard to tell. Or like the other churches, sectarian churches that want to just like, let's just get rid of the evil and let's move away from the evil. And, but he says, no, no, no. 
Let them grow together. Let them grow together. Like, just not remove, let's get rid of the baddies. Like, well, one, you'll, you may get a weed or two, but you're actually gonna, probably going to do more damage to the wheat. We see that. People just declaring what they, you know, this theological mafia on YouTube, pushing, this is good, and this is bad, and this is what you should do, and these people should be pushed aside. That's like, don't do that. You're, you're not good. You're not a very good judge. You're not, very, you're, not, you're not discerning enough. You're going to ruin the wheat, and you'll be left with a, a church of no wheat and nothing but weeds. Martin Luther um, said, fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. So what's the answer? Well, God says, I'll take care of it. Getting rid of weeds is my job and my job alone. That's what he says. You, you want to become a Christian? Like, you want to become, like, only God can do that. Only, only God is qualified to uproot you, to pull you out, and to replant you as a wheat. Only God can do that. And only God can judge in the end. And he will judge in the end. And, you know, because that question of like, man, we need, I need things to change now and maybe live with a high sense of justice and you're like, what do we, like, we have all this pain and suffering, and like, what is God doing? God's saying, hey, I'm taking care of it. I'm going to one day move this out of my perfect creation. This is what he says in Matthew 13. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and laws breakers, all causes of sin. So it's not just getting rid of the fruit, murder, He's got to uproot the anger. He's got, to, he's got to pull it all out. He's got to get rid of it. And the reason why is because he can't, he can't he, it's not that he's like, has a, he, he want, he's, he's going to send people to like, you know, just he's, has this thing about punishing people. He has this thing about protecting his world and his creation from sin. He, he has this thing about creating for you a world that you want. He has for you, uh, he wants to give you a world where there is no death, there is no disease. Everything, like I said, is returned to the, the, uh, the new order of things, which is the way it was in creation, where he brings back his domain and, and human domain and wants. And to do that, he has to get rid of the evil. He's got to push it outside. And so what do we do in the meantime? Well, that's why it's like, man, it's, today is like a great day to repent. Like, I mean, he goes on and talks about like fiery furnace. In Matthew 8, another passage, he refers to hell as outer darkness. And, um, you know, people ask, you know, is that, is that a metaphor or is, that, is it really a fire? Well, I think it's a metaphor because you can't have, if there's fire and, you can't have fire and outer, outer darkness, right? Like you, if it's dark, if it's utterly dark, you can't, there can't be a fire there because fire brings light. But what he's trying to communicate, he's just trying to communicate quite simply, this is, this is not a good place. You don't want to go there. But it's not just a place, but it's, it's some, just like the kingdom of heaven is, is now, but not fully, hell is now, but not fully. I mean, I mean sex trafficking is a hellish thing on this earth. 
and racially motivated violence is a hellish thing on this earth. And you and I are not good at knowing where that comes from because we'll come up with all kinds of reasons and all kinds of ideas. God knows, and he will remove it. He won't just remove the fruit of it. He'll pull it out by its root. But that day hasn't come. We're not at the end of the age. Just like, just like so my uh, daughter's party, it started at two, it ended at six. Like if you showed up after that, it was too late. If you showed up before that, it's fine. And we're living in this place to where like the kingdom of God, the end of the age has not yet come. And it's a day where we come and like this is a great day uh, to repent. And it's a great day to say, hey, I, I, I could see it in my own life. I may not, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not an ax murderer, but you can see the contempt in your heart for someone else. You can see the seed of rebellion in your own heart. And you've never yet repented of that. You've never yet given your life to Jesus. What Jesus is trying to say is, is today is the day. Today is a good day because we don't know when that is going to come. He didn't tell us. And so there's passages like in, in uh, Second Peter. He says, hey, um, some of you, uh, God is not slow as some of you presume. And so some of us are like, man, I want the day to be now. Like, I want God to come back now. And I see the pain and the suffering. And maybe on a dark day, you're like, man, I just hate this evil. I just want it to be done. And God does too. And, but God is patient. He's patient, not wishing that anyone should perish. We had a girl in the city. She's getting baptized today, I think. Or maybe next. I can't remember. Anyway, but she gave her life to Jesus on Thursday. It, I, if... If God came back the week before, it would have been too late for her. But it's not too late. What, what is God doing? Why is he allowing this evil to go away? Well, to get rid of all the evil, he has to get rid of, get rid of evildoers. And he's patient. But don't mistake. God is patient, but God is not tolerant. He's patient with sin, but he's not tolerant with sin. In this parable, he is not tolerant of the weeds. He is patient with the weeds. He said, let them grow together. I will, at the end of the age, I will deal with that once and for all. There's still time for you to be replanted. So what do you do with the patience of God? Well, one is that you, you don't presume upon his kindness. So in, in Romans 2, he says, don't presume upon the kindness of God. Don't, can, don't think of his, because like, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I do what I want to do and everything seems fine for me. They do what they want to do and everything seems fine for them. Hey, don't presume upon the kindness of God thinking that his patience is actually tolerance. He's patient. He wants, he wants everyone to come in. He wants you to come in. And so what do we do in the meantime? If, you, if you're a Christian, what do we do? Well, we don't go around and saying, well, they're a weed, and they're a weed, and they're a weed, and they're a weed, and that's not our game. We will get it wrong more times than we get it right. What do we do? Well, we do what the sower is doing. What is Jesus doing? He is sowing seed. He is planting wheat. And that's what you and I do. We busy ourselves with planting wheat. A good defense is a good, you know, good offense is a good defense. Like we, we go in there and we plant more wheat, and we plant more wheat, and we plant more wheat, and we plant more wheat. That's what we do. Our job is not to pull up the weeds. That's God's job. Our job is to plant wheat. Our, what is the, how do we plant wheat? We communicate. We declare 
the good news of the kingdom. We declare that there was once a world that we all wanted. And because of our own sin and rebellion, we wanted nothing to do with God. But God was not content. Like a loving father, he was not, we were rebellious teenagers that just ran away from home. He was not content with that. And he sent his own son. And his son became one of us. He took on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. He lived a perfect life. And then he died on a cross. He died on a cross for you. And I. you see, his, even, even in that, like his miracles, everything that Jesus did when it says he declared the kingdom and he demonstrated the kingdom, they were all meant to, to restore. Like you and I, like maybe if we had God's power, we'd be like a marvel. You know, I'm going to do loops around the Sea of Galilee or something. Like he never did that. He never just demonstrated his raw power. Everything he did was to restore the way things. So that, that blind eye, I'm going to restore it back to the way it's supposed to be. His miracles were not a suspension of the natural order. They were a restoration of the natural order. And he came and he demonstrated that. That, that, that withered hand, I'm going to make it whole. That diseased skin, I'm going to make it whole. That dead body, I'm going to raise up. And even the night before his, uh, he went to the cross, he had another opportunity to, to display his raw power. He knew he was getting ready to die. And he has this discussion about authority. He says, I could call down a legion of angels right now and end all of this. But he didn't do it because that wasn't, that wasn't a part of the restoration plan. He gave himself over to death because he, was, he is about restoring the world that we all want. He is about taking that splinter out of your hand. He's about taking that splinter out of this world, removing it. What is hell all about? It's him removing the splinter from this world and putting it aside. And he invites anyone who would repent to come in and be a part of his new creation where heaven and earth are once again reunited. And he wants you to be a part. And he wants those of us who are a part to sow as many seed as much seed as we possibly can, declaring the good news of the kingdom, that there is one who knows you and loves you, died for you, and he wants the world that you want deep in your heart, and he's the only one who offers it, if you'll receive him. Why don't you stand with me? There'll be a, a time here where you could receive prayer. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus. You're like, I just... I just thought, you know, being a Christian was playing the externals. And it's easy to get confused because it's kind of like, well, if it's about living a good life, this is a good life, and that's a good life, and that's a good life. But it's to understand that we were all planted with this seed of rebellion. And it may be, maybe you've been confused because, you know, the fruit in your life isn't that bad. Like you're not an axe murderer, so you're okay. The only way to, to be a wheat is to let God uproot you and replant you. Or maybe you're, you're like, no, I... I I know that I've, 
I'm a follower of Jesus, but you just haven't, you're not doing what Jesus asked you to do. You've become the judge and jury for other people. And you've not given yourself to planting wheat. We are a church that wants to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose and make a difference. We just invite you to step into that. And if there's been something that's holding you back, maybe it's a love of your career, maybe it's a love of money, something has kept you. Or maybe you just feel like, man, I've got a judgmental spirit. Jesus, we just, we just thank you for doing what we could never do on our own. We just thank you for your patience and kindness to us that you desire that none perish, but all be a part of your new creation. God, I pray that you would grow faith in us and confidence in you, that you will do, that you will do exactly what you said you do. And God, I pray you, would you, as a church, will you, will your grace and mercy fall upon us, God, and, and change us of our, any judgmental attitude and just give us grace for other people. Give us new passion, desire to be those that sow the seeds of wheat in this city and throughout the world.